2: This is the Cork Today replay on C103. This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest hits. C103.
3: And the very good news from a weather point of view, Met Aaron are saying we're in for a little bit of late summer sunshine with some balmy temperatures on the way. Now, we're not going to get a blistering heat wave, but there is a good chance of dry, warm weather Good sunny spells from tomorrow on. I mean, temperatures last week got a little bit chilly at times. They went down to 16, 17 degrees Celsius. But we're looking on Friday of temperatures of around 24 degrees Celsius. Now, the warmest conditions will be inland, according to uh, Met Aaron, who say that anybody going to a festival, if there's any sport event on, if you're planning a short break. uh, It looks like you've picked picked the nice weekend because we're certainly in for some nice weather present indications are suggesting the weather will be fairly warm and sunny with just light variable breezes there is the risk of the odd shower the best of the weather will be tomorrow thursday and on friday though the weekend is expected to be pleasant as well it's going to be warm and humid on friday and uh, saturday should stay largely dry um, so that's a, uh, well, that's good news for most. There is, comes with a cautionary warning for some because farmers and gardeners have been warned that though that type of weather conditions and the weather conditions over the ni- next 96 hours will be conducive to the spread of potato blight. So you have been warned. 1850 333 as we wish you a very good morning John Paul. Taking your calls today if you want to text or WhatsApp we'd love to hear from you throughout the day 0862 103 Yesterday on the programme we had quite a reaction to Caroline who joined us who was talking about what she had witnessed when she went to visit Farron Lee Nursing Home. She was in fairness poor Caroline herself and her family, her brother and her mom, were going along just to pay to say thank you to the great staff at Farron Lee because they had looked after her dad so well. Her dad passed away about three weeks ago and when she arrived at Farron Lee Road Nursing Home there was a resident, a man at the entrance to it and he'd had some kind of a fall and it was quite obviously a a head injury they thought perhaps maybe a neck injury so they were ringing waiting for an ambulance and two hours the man waited a man in his late 80s just such a sad sad story as well and and I'm delighted to see that it's been picked up by a lot of newspapers and there's a lot of online activity around the story as well because I think people are shocked when they hear of a man of that age a man in his late 80s lying on a cold footpath for two hours waiting for an ambulance and he was conscious throughout God help him because Caroline even said he kept saying are, are they nearly here, are they going to be here soon, where are they why are they taking so long, the poor man so you know he no doubt he was, he was I don't know if he was in pain but he certainly wasn't in a very comfortable position but well done to the staff of Faradley Nursing Home, they came out straight away and they were comforting him and looking after him and keeping him as comfortable as possible. Anyway, when we left it yesterday, we got on to the National Ambulance Service just to not to confirm. We knew that the incident had happened but just wanted to know what was could they give us a reason uh, for it and they did get back to us and as usual they confirmed that an emergency call had been uh, received. They say the call was triaged using the internationally recognised advanced medical priority dispatch system. This system prioritises calls using internationally agreed procedures and protocols thus ensuring that life-threatening and potentially life-threatening calls receive an appropriate response and I accept that that has to be done and you have to prioritise and you have to decide, you know, if somebody is in a life-threatening situation. But do you not also have to take into consideration that this was a man in his late 80s and to have him left on the side of the road for two hours just, I think, to everybody seems so, so unacceptable. Now, the National Emergency Operations Centre, the dispatcher there, immediately allocated the nearest available ambulance that ambulance was heading out to our gentleman when unfortunately a higher call came in so they had to reroute and go to the incident so that was that that ambulance uh, taken away the next available ambulance was immediately assigned but due to the high volume of emergency calls at the time it was required to travel a considerable distance to get to the scene so they must have gone to an ambulance outside of the area because as we know when we were speaking with Caroline yesterday she'd been told was there five ambulances parked in the loading bay a Cork University Hospital waiting to get into CUH and they couldn't leave to do another call because they still had a patient on board and that's where, they, that's where the problem really was uh, for that uh, elderly gentleman. Anyway he got seen and, and he has been taken to hospital and hopefully he's going to make a full recovery but a lot of people as I say still very upset I think you know just upset about it and we just seem to be throwing money at our health service and we, you know, we will talk about another similar case. Don't you know, there will be other cases where people will have been waiting just too long for an ambulance to come. One uh, listener by text saying the only way to affect change in situations like this is to do something about it. Listener says there are TDs uh, elected who work tirelessly while in office and they deserve our gratitude and our support. Then there are those who don't seem to realise that they were elected courtesy of the voters to act on our behalf. We need to become more proactive by contacting the relevant ministers or TDs to express our concerns. Their contact details are very easily available. Substandard health practices should not be to- tolerated. It could soon be one of us lying on one of those trolleys or waiting years for a simple cataract procedure. Everyone deserves to be treated swiftly, and we must be prepared to demand it for ourselves and indeed for our family members. If enough of us express our dissatisfaction, then they may try to improve the relevant uh, facilities. I suppose. Yeah. Uh, no point sitting and moaning about it. Try and do something ourselves. Try and see if we can affect change. Thank you for your WhatsApp to oh eight six two one zero three one zero three. Now, coming up on the programme this morning, we are going to talk about that tweet. We didn't get to this yesterday. This is from the man who feels disabled parking should only be available from 9 to 5, Monday to Friday. And his logic and his thought pattern uh, was that if you're really disabled, What would you be doing out after five o'clock in the evening? Absolutely crazy. We'll talk about that on the programme today. We're also going to hear about the possible sale of a West Cork uh, island. It's Mannion's Island in Domanus Bay. And seemingly it is up for sale. Would you like to buy an island? So we're going to speak with the auctioneer who's handling it to find out how much would it cost to buy an island. But the reason that there's a lot of tension going on this island is there is a crowdfunding Group who are based on the Cayman Islands. There's a place where they've got a lot of money, but they're doing it through crowdfunding, and they're trying to raise the money to buy an island. And it could be this island, this Mannion's Island in West They're looking at a number of islands, but they want to buy an island. And one of the possibilities is this West Cork one. So uh, I'm interested to talk to the auctioneer, uh, Dominic Daly, who seems has sold islands before. It's not his first I- island. I'm just intrigued that anyone will buy. It's kind of one of those dream things, isn't it? If you win the lotto and isn't there one of the lottery ads talks about, well, oh, I'll buy an island. It's kind of what you what you'd do if you were a multi-millionaire or a billionaire and you are too much money on your hands but seemingly this island isn't that expensive if you did want to buy an island we'll find out uh, more we'll speak with the two mums who join us after 11 o'clock today both of their children unfortunately got meningitis so they'll share their stories with us and we're going to use it as a kind of a uh, an information piece as well just to alert people and remind people what are the warning signs of meningitis what should we all be uh, looking out for and we're also going to hear from a mother from Galway who set up a not for profit organisation called Act for Meningitis and that's exactly what they're trying to do is get the message out to people about meningitis and sadly the mum in Galway who joins us she wasn't so fortunate in that her daughter passed away a little four year old little girl really really quickly she's a shocking shocking story uh, to tell and then it, our bi-monthly feature with O'Walia uh, offering advice to people who find themselves in financial difficulty we'll look at different solutions that are available to people who find themselves in difficulty with the bank and it is Wednesday so after half past 12 today Peter Dowdle our resident gardener will join us answering all of your gardening questions so if you've got a gardening question get them in throughout the morning Dennis has been on by text to say hi Patricia does any of you listeners know where I can buy Mothballs in Cantirk are Charleville. Thank you very much, says Dennis. Mothballs. Some of those issues that comes up every now and again on the program, but people still say best way to get rid of the moth, of moths, mothballs, and they do work. And people don't worry about the smell and don't care about the smell. And I don't know whether it's the time of year for moths or not. But there was a fine big moth in my bathroom this morning. I have to say. Anyway. Cantorca, charitable Any shop or has anybody recently purchased mothballs in that general area? Could you let us know and we can pass on the information to Dennis, uh, please? And Teresa has been on by text to say, Patricia, would you give a quick mention, please, to a fundraiser taking place tomorrow night in Albert Lynch's pub. It's a fundraiser for Brighter Communities Worldwide. They're a charity I haven't heard of before, but they go, it goes towards health and education, clean water supply and smokeless stoves. And I imagine to families in third world countries, uh, a table quiz will be held. Albert Lynch is half past eight tomorrow night. It'll be hosted by Kevin Condom. There are lots of prizes. And if you're going along tables are four for 40 euro. Thank you to Teresa Harrington for sending in those details. Last week, we were talking about cemeteries and the condition of some local cemeteries. And it was kicked off by Connor, who joined us to talk about the cemetery where his dad Uh, was buried some 10 years ago and it is a new cemetery in that I think his dad was only the second person to be buried there. It's a a -a Killisane Cemetery. It's just a couple of miles outside of uh, Castletown, Roach and Connor listening to him. Great guy. Is doing a lot of the maintenance himself because he looks after his dad's grave and his dad's friend was buried there. It's the reason why his dad wanted to be buried there. So he looks after his dad's friend's grave as well and he's trying to maintain the other few. There's only a handful of graves uh, there but he was quite annoyed that Cork County Council were not doing enough. Now we got on to Cork County Council about this particular graveyard because it is a new graveyard. You know, we are forever hearing about old graveyards that nobody seems to go near but this is a new graveyard and judging by the condition and the photographs that Connor sent in to us if they if they leave it like that and if it has that sort of unkept appearance about it, other family members won't even consider I imagine other families won't consider placing their loved one there. so I think it's important that this new graveyard is maintained so that more families will decide to buy plots there anyway. Cork County Council got back to us to confirm, they say, that a part-time caretaker is engaged at the cemetery to do what they call routine maintenance and grass cutting. The grass is cut on a regular basis and was most recently cut in the last two weeks, even though when I was talking to Connor, he was disputing that. But anyway, Cork County Council say it was cut. Cork County Council are also currently in contract with the contractor in order to carry out... or Sorry, they're in contact with the contractor in order to carry out extra works which would include strimming to the edge of the graveyard and the removal of trees, and this work will be completed, they say, as soon as possible. So that looks like they've got plans for the future. So maybe and I don't know if that had anything to do with Connor raising the issue or not, but I'm, I'm sure Connor will be thrilled to hear that they're they're in talks to do extra work that will be completed as soon as possible, and no doubt Connor will let us know if that work. Takes place, and he'll also let us know if it doesn't take place. 1850 Eighteen fifty-three-three-three-one-zero-three. John Paul takes your calls. We're going to take a break, and we are back uh, talking about should disabled drivers should their parking bays only be available between nine and five Monday to Friday? Laura Galga,
2: RC one
4: zero three. Rogo polo kanal, eran the year for inaidig saktonei near imershe roger godi garavse shavlin deg B egy irigyhármva egy csúnov agusgal. A ktoréció immertoskol, nyarvadók er aknák A maré rialtmar ruga antokin. Demerpol mar Nasgrad Kugamun kúg a moon, dera agus de eren alone, agus kiapok egy mar kapten er an tree eren igor a kúg a moon demerse de is a oktágur, agus dámsegyse kuig quinta is I the government wants to stand for free, and also for example, the peso-freeism for such a full 3rd. They want toiesta. This is 1988 Еiliness Chcelini and Cohl do not know in politics, the university staff is really great to teach. Olympic history was the more
3: Kirkig. Now at the weekend, a tweet by a guy called Daniel Lawson was shared. The tweet suggested that disabled parking should only be valid during business hours 9 to 5, Monday to Friday. As the guy tweeting said... He couldn't see any reason why people with genuine disabilities would be out beyond those times. Laura Hallisey, formerly of this parish, and she was a former producer of the programme, shares the tweet on her Facebook page because Laura happens to also be a wheelchair user. And uh, she joins me. Good morning to you, Laura. Morning. Um, You're welcome to the programme. Do you dare to venture out after five in the evening and God forbid on the weekend? It has been long, (laughs) <laughs> well, I thought of you instantly when I saw it because I thought of many a night I saw you out after well past <laughs> five goes, o'clock. Now, now we, we would love to speak to this guy but unfortunately his Twitter account has been uh, suspended. Do, uh-huh. you, do you know, had he posted similar tweets, is he just one of these trolls who just yeah. likes to say these things for the sake of it? He definitely has
1: posted other questionable things but I don't know if he's just doing it for that reaction or because that's his real belief, you know what I mean? But it certainly elicited a big reaction, you know what I mean? Um, And from other people that I know that have, you know, all sorts of disabilities, like he has posted other things similar to that
3: before. Oh, it's just a nasty piece of work. And the reaction to his comment, thankfully, was very supportive, wasn't it? Particularly of people who need to use these disabled bays.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Um, I think sometimes it's important to share it and be like, you know, because the reaction to me was, like, people, you know, even messages I got, like, what? You know, just, just the disbelief that, you know, people hold those opinions is kind of widely shared among my circle anyway. Me. Um, yeah. so it was an interesting reaction. And some people, you know, we had a little joke about this for some people, and then some people were outraged, you know, by it or whatever. So it was kind of like a very,
3: varied reaction. And I think what's always good when something like this gets highlighted, it just opens up that whole debate and yeah. shines a spotlight on yeah. the importance of these disabled bays.
1: Absolutely. And, I mean, I think people don't understand that they're there for lots of different reasons. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not just you're closer to whatever, it's the size of the space, and all that kind of thing, you know, that opens up a discussion, you know, with people. Because oftentimes I would have been somewhere, and you know, someone would park very close to me, and I would try to explain that it's the space that I need. It's not because it's closer to where I'm going. Do you know what I mean?
3: Yeah, because you you need to physically put your wheelchair together. Yeah. F- so you so you to throw open the door of your car, obviously. Yeah. So you yeah. need you d- you definitely need that much space.
1: Yes, and I think that that sometimes gets like people just. I mean, not in any any nasty way. They just don't really. And had the discussion of like please don't park very close to my driver's door
3: and has that happened to you that you've come back to get into your car and you can't yeah. get into your and you can't yeah. get into the car
1: that happens quite a lot, so you have yeah. to wait around, yeah, or i have had to call people or you know family members to say, can you please retrieve the car out of there um,
3: oh goodness me and, yeah. and if somebody came back and you were patiently waiting, are they very embarrassed?
1: Well, it kind of startles me sometimes when people aren't, like most people are embarrassed, but I mean, sometimes they're like, oh, right. you know, if if people aren't, I, I'm confused for that reaction, um, but most people aren't, most people, because most people realize, <laughs> don't realise that you need that much space. You yeah. know I mean, I'm actually doing it myself. I think the idea is that while well, you're putting it into the boot of your car or something, and I'm not, because I obviously have to lift it. Um, so, people kind of go, oh, I, I didn't realise like
3: okay yeah and and i know i've seen people post who need to who have children with disability and they need yes. don't park close to the back of the others, a vehicle yeah, that has they, to open up
1: pull up to the boot of the car don't park close yeah. to that because they need it opened up yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. and then ab- abuse of the bays themselves this is is yeah. that are we getting second any better is it still the same we, have I you ever had to drive
1: there. sorry i think people are um getting pulled up on it more. Yeah. Like I think it's getting people will really get a ticket now and things like that. Um before it wasn't so much. People do, do it a lot. Um and I just think and it's not out of badness a lot of the time. I think people just don't realise how fear how much like I physically can't get in and out of the car if people do that. So um and you're risking it in a, in a in a normal space that, that someone will be too close to you. And you won't be able to get out or in back
3: in your car. And the argument that's often put forward when somebody's challenged as to why they parked in in a disabled bay, oh, I was only going to be five minutes. Five minutes, yeah. Yeah. And that's the okay. five, mi- five minutes where you're driving around looking for that parking space.
1: Yeah, that's five minutes where I could be gone way a, a lot further away and try to get into a an average space and then get stuck somewhere, you know, or yeah. like it's it pouring rain or something. Do you know what I mean? And um,
3: um, and is that the danger of parking in an average space that you might have the space to get out, yeah, but then somebody yeah, will, somebody yeah. correctly will park, but yeah, then that exactly. blocks your door. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I get worried when I have to do that. Cause I'm like, well, I could come back to someone really near me now, and then what do I do? Mm. <coughs> so you are taking a chance if you're not using if you're not using a disabled parking space.
3: Have we enough bays?
1: Um, it's interesting actually because I'm in Kerry at the moment and they're everywhere. Are and they? I know that there are a lot more than there are in Cork. Um, I think certain towns, like I'm from West Cork and it's not as, I think there's less than there are in the city in particular.
3: Yeah, and if we have less and then we have people abusing them and I know there is, we would certainly get discussions and have people talk about it here, uh, family members abusing other family members, it's like, I mean, and I don't even need to ask you this, but I will. Have you ever given your blue sticker to any of your family members, or have they no. ever asked you for it?
1: No, and they, they're they're more they get more angry with basically people parking in it than I do. Yeah, they, like you know, often your family members will be more like horrified for you than anyone else. You know, I'm like, oh, it's okay, but they're like, they would never use abuse because they know they, they've been there and they know how serious it is if I get stuck somewhere.
3: And and for you to be able to drive, I mean, that's your independence.
1: Absolutely, I couldn't do it without it. You know, I really couldn't. So you just yeah, and also like if you're doing it at night time or something past past those hours, and I'm not meant to be out, <laughs> um, it's very dangerous. Like I'm in a vulnerable position, sat there waiting.
3: That's true. I hadn't, back. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that.
1: You know, like that worries me if I come out of a of a of somewhere and I'm sitting there at like. Nine or ten o'clock at night, and I'm just waiting, hoping someone will come along. Then you're you're vulnerable in that situation. Do you know what I mean?
3: And do you feel nervous?
1: Yeah, yeah. because you're more like you're just you you you're literally like you're sort of like a sitting duck for it. You know, you're kind of like and it's just yeah. here, and I also just worry about the reaction. You know what I mean? Most of the time, it's fine, but you just don't know if people are going to be okay
3: about it. Yeah and you are I know you you are a very independent person you want to live your own life you don't want to be depending on other people
1: Yeah, yeah. and I mean it, the car is there and the adoption is there and you know it's there to be used and, and, and if it's done properly then everyone can kind of get on with their life and they can you know Lead a, a, a fuller one as long as we kind of obey those rules.
3: Do you know what I mean? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I think we've you've that drawn attention it. again, so it's I think it's always good just to show, shine a light yeah. on it, and just that, so when people are driving around, just stop and think when you see yeah. and and realise because you will hear people say, "Oh, should the disabled bays? are lovely and wide. That's why I like yeah. to park there. They're lovely and wide for the very yeah. reason that Laura yeah. has been explaining." Are you yeah. holidaying in Kerry or what are you doing in Kerry? I
5: am for a couple of days. No. Yeah, so
3: Tomorrow, I, oh, you go back tomorrow because the weather's changing. Tomorrow it's getting good. Yeah, t- I know. <laughs> but we got a lovely day yesterday, so we can't complain. Did you? And you're coming back to beautiful West Cork, sure. Absolutely. What yeah. You what me? more would you yeah, want? You. Listen, a pleasure as always, and good to catch up with you. You look it's after yourself. Pleasure. You too. Thanks for joining us. Bye prepared. bye. Bye bye. That is uh, Laura uh, Hallisey as I say former producer of this programme who happens to be a wheelchair uh, user and she was the one actually who I first saw uh, resharing this tweet from this guy. I did a bit of research on him because I really was interested to see was he just one of these trolls. You know these people who just think it is funny are just an ignoramus who thinks there's nothing wrong with suggesting that people in wheelchairs should only be out between nine and five and should what business have they, if they have a genuine disability they should be home tucked up in their bed from 5 o'clock and not, forget about going out on a Saturday or Sunday. Absolute ignoramus. And anyway, it turns out he's an Australian dude and he's had his Twitter account suspended. Disabled. Was it disabled or suspended was the word they used. But basically Twitter took it down because uh, t- I, and I'm assuming that they would have received a number of complaints while there were a lot of people answering this guy and having their own top halfpenny worth and telling him you know really what a rude person he was and, and some people were having great fun including the girl who instantly who's a wheelchair user like Laura came back with we're, we're disabled Daniel we're not werewolves which I thought was the was the greatest clap back I've seen in a long long time it was uh, fantastic but anyway it's um. It's been taken down and and I hope he has learned and that he will never do or say anything like that uh, again because it's, it's an offensive thing to say as well, and it can be very hurtful
2: Cork today
3: on scene 103.
2: Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment
3: 086 A West Cork island could become the first crowd funded private island in the world. A crowdfunding site is aiming to purchase its very own piece of paradise. A Mannion's Island in the picturesque Dumanus Bay off the south coast is one. Of the five contenders for a possible Star Wars style retreat. Uh, Dominic Daly is a Cork based auctioneer and he joins me to talk about the sale of this island. Good morning to you, Dominic. Good morning to uh, you, You're welcome, to, you're welcome to the program. You. Thank uh, the, the, you very much. Now, can you start by telling us a little bit about this island? Just sell it to us. <laughs> well, Bellion's Island is a
6: lovely, it's a handy sized island. It's only four acres. It's up the top of the It's in a very sheltered location. That means it's accessible at most stages of the tide and
3: also weather. And how long has it been up for sale?
6: I've had it back on my books for the last six months. Uh, You know, circumstances change, but I've had it for sale for about six months now.
3: How much yep. do you expect it to sell for?
6: The asking price is 150000 It's quite good value. Oh, that's a bargain. Yeah.
3: And, what, and what's I, on the island?
6: It's four acres of grazing and, you know, with planning permission, you might well be able to put up a structure there.
3: So who'd object to planning? I think it would be welcomed So do I So do yeah. I And has it been used for grazing?
6: Yes it has It's consistently grazed It's you know The island's in hand It's not overgrown Or neglected Or anything like that
3: And has anybody ever lived On this island?
6: Not that I'm aware of
3: Yeah And have the this crowdfunding site Who are based In the Cayman Islands Have they been yes. in contact with you?
6: Some months ago um, some people came here and they visited the island and they were very enthusiastic about the island and took a lot of photographs that sort of stuff but we didn't hear anything further from them since. But that can happen with islands. People take their time to buy an island sometimes.
3: Yeah, yeah I imagine they don't sell very quickly. Have you yeah. sold Have you sold islands previously?
6: Oh, i sold a lot of islands over the years. Um, in fact... I sold an island, well, I sold another island in West Cork earlier this year. And last year, I sold an island up in Donegal, an island I've never been on. And I've never met the purchasers, but we still did the deal.
3: <laughs> Do you specialize in sale of islands or something, Dominic?
6: Well, I'm. some people call me the island man. <laughs> o- o- <laughs> Over the years, I've sold a lot of islands.
3: And what have people done with the islands you've part- that you've sold?
6: Most of them live quietly and happily, and privately.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You would, you would, and it, it it does sound it's it sounds rather idyllic. And you would, as you say, you would be able to get services out onto the island and everything. Oh yes,
6: oh yes, yeah.
3: And, and this idea of it being turned into a Star Wars style retreat.
6: Well, that's that's another dimension. I I
3: have been brought into the any discussions regarding that. But <laughs> best of best of luck for them. Yeah, yeah. Well, but but yeah, and best of luck with, with planning and all of that. But sure, I mean, you've yeah. you, you've no neighbours to object to. It's your own island. Anyway, we'll keep uh, we'll we'll keep in contact with you with you, Dominic, and let us know if you hear anything further, or if they come I'm in the if they come in with I an will. offer. And, and thank you for joining us on the program this morning.
6: Very good to talk to you. Talk again. Thank bye, you
3: bye, much. bye, bye, Dominic Daly. There, the Island Man. Who knew? Uh, an actually, based in Cork City. If you want to buy out. I'm I'm hundred and fifty thousand. That isn't a lot of money. Sure, isn't. Back in the heyday, you're paying that and more just for a site. And it seems one of the reasons that they, for this particular site is that it's often referred to as subtropical, and that's due to the warming effects of the Gulf. Stream, and it's in a relatively sheltered position. It lies between two finger-like peninsulas, so that helps it uh, as well. And you know, it's it's been used for grazing sheep in the in the summer months, and obviously that's what it's been used for um, at the moment. So it will be. uh, We'll keep an eye on this group as I've never heard of them before. They're IBG. They're, they're a Cayman Islands registered corporation, and they're behind the project. It's an international community of investors and travellers, and they're committing to, they're committed to creating a socially responsible, eco friendly, and self sustaining island property. They're looking the five islands that they're looking at. Well, one of them is this uh, Manion Island in Dalmanis Bay. It would be lovely if they purchased it. Thank you, by the way, too. Well, I mentioned Dennis, who contacted us earlier this morning, who was looking for mothballs. We had a huge reaction to that, including somebody sending me in a photograph of lavender mothballs. They were purchased in John and Doreen Hurley's shop in Bantry. And I'm told a shop where you can get everything from a needle to a haystack. And I like the idea of there being lavender scented mothballs. So mothballs have obviously come on a long way. But John Paul tells me that we had a number of calls in from people offering Dennis mothballs. So we've got in contact with him and we've sorted them out. So thank you for that and thank you for people's kindness, people who had mothballs, willing to pass them on to Dennis. And hopefully, because of your kindness, he won't have any problems with any of his clothes being eaten away this winter. Also, big, big reaction to Laura Hallacy talking to us as a wheelchair user. And just, I think it was good to get an insight into what life is like for somebody who needs to use disabled bays and needs to use them because she's a wheelchair user. But she needs to park in the parking space, open the car door, physically take out her wheelchair, put it together, get into the wheelchair. And then go off about her business and then when she returns after her day at work or her evening out or whatever it is that she needs to do, she has to again go up to the side of her car, open the car door and then slide herself in from the wheelchair onto the driver car seat and then take down the wheelchair and it comes comes up into parts and she slips it into the car. And I, when she worked here, I saw her on more mornings outside in the car park to do it. And she was such an independent person. You, you, you know, there was many a day that I felt like running out and going, oh, I'll do it for you, I'll do it for you. But you didn't. You just, you knew with Laura that you didn't. This was part of her life, part of her routine and part of her independence. And that's why when people, we know everyone is against people abusing the disabled bays by parking people who don't have a sticker parking in one of those bays it's just such a wrong and stupid thing to do but listening to Laura this morning I thought she really got across how if you're going to park your car near any of those bays just be very careful the reason that those bays are so wide is to facilitate the likes of Laura getting up with her wheelchair being able to open the car door, being able to get out of the car and also to be able to get back in a- again. I mean, I hadn't thought about her until she mentioned it, talking about she'll go off, you know, do her day's work or whatever she needs to do. Socialise, visit friends, go for lunch, do what, what everybody else does. But she'll have the worry of coming back if she hasn't managed to get a parking disabled parking bay, she has the worry of coming back to a normal parking space and hoping that the person beside hasn't parked up very close and if you're in some, particularly the multi-storey car parks some of the bays normal bays now I'm talking about in the multi-storey car parks, you really can be on top if you have any kind of a wide car and you can see people scratching the side of cars and, and everything but it, they can be very tight some of those parking spaces so if all the the bays are gone for Laura and she parks in a normal place. She's got to hope that there's either nobody parked in the bay beside her or that the person realised, saw that it is a blue sticker on it and moved over to give Laura enough space. But to think that she said to she's been in positions where she said to ring her family to say somebody's going to have to come back the car out for me so that then I can get into the car. It's just... And that's from people who are parking too close to the disabled bay. So I think she's given us good food for thought. And when you're out and about driving, just... Little bit of consideration, just stop and think of uh, other people. Okay, we're going to take a break. We have news at 11 on the way. In the next hour, we're going to be featuring meningitis and talking about meningitis and talking with two local families whose daughters thankfully made uh, a full recovery from meningitis. But we're also going to talk with a group who helped to support to raise awareness about uh, meningitis. That's all coming
7: up. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
3: Some of your reaction to Laura talking to us earlier about how important disabled parking bays are for people who really need to use them. And she in particular was talking uh, as a wheelchair user. John in Donnerail says, I feel at the bottom of O'Brien Street in Mallow, there is a disabled bay. And I see people regularly park on that disabled bay and they appear to have absolutely nothing wrong with them. I see people jumping in and out of cars. So a clampdown is needed on this, especially on certain streets. So all I'll say on that is, and the argument that's put forward about somebody who jumps in and out of a car who has a disabled sticker and doesn't look particularly disabled, you can have hidden disabilities as well. Now that's not to say that that isn't somebody abusing the disabled card as well so you're right to be cautious about it and uh, try to find out are people abusing it. Nora says last February I was parked outside the courthouse in Malla which has a disabled bay and I didn't have the blue badge with me on the day. My mother is a wheelchair user the traffic warden saw us and said yeah it's okay off you go and we went about our merry way and when I came back there was a parking ticket on the uh, car that a member of guard the Corner, had given us because it's, it's around the corner from the guard the station uh, as well, and members of Guard the Corner, are entitled to issue tickets as well. Now I don't know. Did you challenge it? Did you did you try to get it um, overturned? I mean, if you if your mother has, and I'm assuming she does because she's a wheelchair user, you say for the last four years. I mean, if you went into, I don't know when this. Oh, it happened last February. Um, I would have been going into the guard the station with your. That with your mum's valid permit and explain what had happened I don't know if you did that uh, or not but the tra- and, and explain the, the traffic warden has said it was okay for you to park there you just didn't have the sticker with you on that particular day and Jimmy can Kinsey so people are so busy nowadays they just appear to throw the car anywhere when they need to park. They don't even look at the blue marking on the spot. I see it happening all the time and all over the place. I think people are just so stressed these days. They're running from shop to work to collect the kids. They don't know what they're doing. They're living such stressed out lives. So I feel it's never deliberate when somebody parks, say, so close to one of those blue bays. It's just people seem more dazed than ever these days. Have others noticed that, that stress has taken over people's lives to the point that people are just not concentrating. They're just focused on where they need to get and they're just therefore being rather inconsiderate to other people because if you block Laura's car in by parking too close to her driver's door, that's, you know, if you are dazed and you are feeling stressed, you're still at the end of the day being very inconsiderate to uh, Laura. And Orla was on, listened with interest to Laura's chat earlier this morning and she says, Laura is so correct with how she described and how she explained the space you need to get out of the car. You need to get out of the car and without that space you're basically stuck in the car. People are just so inconsiderate these days. They squeeze their car into spaces between a disabled bay and a normal space, even when it's clearly marked. And Orla, I don't know if Orla is a wheelchair user or as a family member that's a wheelchair user, but she says it is happening quite a lot. So it's good, I think, that we ran that piece this morning. It might just get it into people's heads and people might just stop and think the next time that they're parking the car and if they are parking close to a blue bay. 185333103 Yesterday on the program we spoke about drink driving and we were talking about the courts and how people who are convicted of drink driving when they get before the courts a third actually walk away. And uh, there's discrepancies depending on where in the country you are if you are caught over the limit. And we know that the RSA now are looking for an investigation. They want some research to try to explain why a third of people go to court and then for whatever reason walk away on the day. And also when we were talking with Park and Susan Gray from road road uh, Safety Group Park she was saying we also have another problem in that when people are convicted and there's penalty points added or if their licence is revoked their licence is taken away from them we have a problem in that they're not handing in their licences which means they're dri- still driving around and if they get stopped by a member from Garda Siakona and the Garda says where's your driving licence and they hand it over there's nothing on the licence to say that that licence has been suspended and until every member from Garda Siakona has these new handheld devices where they'll be able to find out if somebody's license is suspended, there's no way for a guard that you know if somebody has a valid driving license or not. Well, another thing that's been spoken about and a proposal that's been spoken about by the Minister for Transport, Shane Ross, is the idea of higher fines and more penalty points for speeding motorists, depending on the speed they're doing at the time they're caught. Now, part of Shane Ross's proposals would be that drivers travelling up to 10 kilometres, just above the speed limit, they would receive between three and five penalty points and they get an 80 euro fine. If you're then going faster still and you're detected between 10 kilometres and 20 kilometres Above the limit, you'd receive between four and six points, and the fine would go up to 150 euro. Then there would be a 200 euro fine and up to seven penalty points if you were caught speeding between 20 and 30 kilometres above the limit. And then anyone who's caught going 30 kilometres over the legal limit. They would no longer be dealt with under the penalty points system, which they are at the moment. They, instead, you would be prosecuted for dangerous driving. That in itself doesn't seem like. You know, because such a bad idea. Because you would hear people complain. I was just over. You know, I was on the road and mm. I was doing a hundred and eight kilometres. Didn't even realise I was just over on a hundred kilometres zone. And people complain that it's not fair that you would get fined and penalised the very same way as if somebody was cruising along beside you doing a hundred and fifty kilometres an hour in a hundred kilometres zone. That surely there should be a lesser fine if you're just over the limit. But a barrister is making an interesting, giving his views on it, and he can see some problems with Minister Shane Ross's proposals and one that I hadn't thought about. He makes the point that 10 kilometres over the limit in a 50 kilometre zone is obviously not the same as being 10 kilometres over the limit on a motorway. Being slightly over the limit on a motorway is drastically different to speeding in a school zone or a built up area. So that's a good point. They're two very, very different speed limits. I mean, if you're on a motorway, which is what, 120 kilometres and you're just over by the 10 kilometres and you're in a built up area where there's schools and children crossing and it's a 50 kilometres zone and you're doing 60. There are two very, very different cases. Now, we we, we already know we have graduated penalties exist for drink-driving offences. But this looks like there's going to be a lot of complications if Minister Shane Ross tries to introduce it for um, speeding. There's also, it seems, concerns about the ability of the Gardaí to enforce the graduated penalties. But at the moment, it's just a proposal. It's just something that Minister Shane Ross wants to bring to to government and he wants to tease out and discuss. And I doubt we'll hear more about that in the future. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. are you with Shane Ross on this that you think there should be? a graduated, the more you're speeding, the bigger the fine the less you're speeding, the smaller the fine and the smaller the penalty points I think that one, the 7 penalty points if you're between 20 and 30 kilometres above the limit and if you're on the motorway doing 120, you'll there's, you'll often have cars pass you out and you know for sure they've got to be doing 140, 150 kilometres, which should put them 20 to 30 kilometres above the speed limit. If that was uh, was applied, they would get seven penalty points. They only have to do that and do one other speeding at under the 20 kilometres and they'd be off the road it might put manners on some people it really might put manners on some people and it might force people to slow down it might just act as a deterrent your thoughts are uh, welcomed uh, please 1850 333 103 text or whatsapp 0862 103103 C103 103. 103 Jobs Padre Pio House they've got vacancies for a house care assistant while a qualified accountant is required for a busy accountancy and a tax pra- practice that's based in Bandon. Kohan Seafoods, they're looking for full-time process cleaning representatives. That's for their Bandon factory. While the Court Restaurant in Charleville are looking for full and part-time staff. You must be available to work mid-week. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is... C103. Now, two mothers from Kilbrin join me in studio this morning to talk about meningitis because both of their daughters, Emer and Chloe, suffered from meningitis and they happened to live a mile or so apart. Both mums have decided to do a fundraiser for an organisation called Act for Meningitis, which is a non-profit organisation based in Galway. Liz Heffernan and Anne-Marie Clifford both join us in me in studio, along with their girls actually, Emer and Chloe, are with us uh, as well. Good morning, ladies, and you're all very welcome. Morning, morning, sure. Liz, I'm going to start with you okay. um, to share Emer's story first, because Emer contracted meningitis in March of 2017. So I suppose, start at the start, what were their early symptoms? What was going on?
8: Well, I suppose now, to begin with, we are a very low-key family, so we don't get out there much. But I do want to just get this message across about the meningitis. Yeah. Um, she was... I suppose looking back, I could see things. She was on about her legs and that they were tired and they were weak until she wanted to sit down and she didn't want to go to dancing. Didn't take any whole lot of notice like that as any mother wouldn't. But then um, one day she got a bug on a Friday and um, we took her to the doctor. They thought maybe she had sinus and stuff. But then she got sicker and sicker as the day went on. The following day she was still sick. I said, this can't be a bug. So I went back to the doctor again. And she straight away sent us up to Cork. So within 24 hours, we were in the hospital. Ema was really sick. She got lumbar punches, loads and loads of tests. The legs went. There was no walking. And everything she ate, she got sick. And it just went down for about... When was the word meningitis mentioned? Pro- we were admitted on the Saturday, on the Tuesday. So wow. it was fast enough, yeah.
3: And had, had that been... Had you thought about meningitis? Absolutely.
8: No, 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 no never. And thought your
3: about. own doctor who it was your own doctor's prompt response really to say. Yes, GP to be in it was fantastic. Had, did, had, was your GP querying it, do you think?
8: Well, me, I'd say she was silently, yeah. but didn't say anything to me. And as I say, I would never. I thought actually going up to the hospital, she was dehydrated. As said, we'll be above for 24 hours now on the drip.
3: And then she will be home and, everyth- and yes. everything will be fine. Yes. And she was very unwell for a few days then, was it? Oh, she was very unwell for at least 10 days of heartnight.
8: Yeah. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Wow. And then when she did turn the corner and the meds clicked in and all the tests were done, she, you know, she came back fast enough. Yeah. But it's the silence of getting better then as well. You know, you're at home and everybody's thinking, oh, yeah, she's great. But there's a tiredness there. There's just you know no energy wanting to be better wanting to do everything but not able I know you know and even in school but no
3: no long term no 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 yeah that's it yeah. happy
8: in story she's a very healthy happy girl which isn't, always, with which isn't always the case yes. with, with, with other meningitis sufferers
3: yes. uh, so let me bring in Anne-Marie Clifford at this stage uh, good morning anne hi Patricia uh, because your daughter uh, Chloe was only in February of this year now, that's be- right now before Chloe was diagnosed were, were you and Anne-Marie you only live a mile apart did you, you know each other
0: oh we do know each other yeah, yeah. we do know each other we'd be well aware of what's going on, we'd have known that Emer was very sick from being in the school and everything. Yeah. I would have had to text Liz and stuff to know, how was Eimear doing? How are you doing? And I suppose from the onset, like Liz said, we see Emer and she's fine. Yeah. But if you carry a crutch or if you have a broken arm, it's nearly easier because people can come along and say, oh, look, she's still laid up. They don't realise the long term. So I thought myself Emer was flying.
3: Yeah, I yeah, really not, did. Not
0: realising. So not realising.
3: So, so we're up to March. So February of this year, yeah, your it daughter actually, Chloe starts to feel
0: unwell. Yeah, actually, it was on a Sunday, the 27th of January. Chloe was actually after answering mass that morning. She was after being in the altar and we were going to Tralee. And, you know, like anything, get into the car, come on, hurry on and everything. My husband was with us as well. And just when we pulled into Cantork, just coming in by the Edelquin Hall, Chloe started, my eye, I have a pain in my eye, I have a pain in my eye. And like any other parent, you say, oh, for God's sake, it can't be that bad. You know, it's fine. You just don't want to go shopping. Don't be dramatic. Don't be dramatic. Exactly. Yeah. So by the time we kind of got up um, Percival Street and the whole lot in Kentark, she was crying her eyes out with the pain in her eye. No headache, no nothing. So my husband turned around and he said, you know what now, Chloe? We've, n- we've no business going anywhere. South Dock is here. I'm going taking you in. Mm. So I said to him, there's no way you're going to just be able to walk in the door to South Doc. And he said, we will. He said, we'll get in. She's got a pain. There's a doctor there. So in fairness to him, in he went, saw the doctor. And I suppose because my husband suffers from migraines himself, the doctor said, look, I think this really is a bad migraine. So gave her meds that day, gave her Nurofen, said, take her home. It should settle. Now we took her home and I suppose she slept for about three hours. And she woke up a little bit better. Not too bad, but a little bit better. Went back to bed that night, the following morning, which we were into Monday. I wasn't very pleased with her. And as lunchtime came on, I said, no, Chloe, I said, we need to get to our own GP. No temperature, no headache, absolutely nothing. Just still that niggling pain behind her eye. So I went to my own GP and he said, no, he said, I'm not pleased either. He said, we'll go straight to Cork. Up we went to Cork. In the the A&E, in fairness to them, they did see us quickly. Mm. They monitored her up until half past one in the morning. Said, yes, we do think it's a it's a migraine and they did blood tests her CRP levels, which I didn't realize till later can tell you, which is an infection somewhere in your body. They can pinpoint where it is, is, but it's somewhere. They said they were a bit elevated, but nothing. They said frighteningly elevated. Sent her home at half past one in the morning. I was coming down the road. I came to the roundabout in Mallow with my daughter screaming. I had to pull in outside the roundabout. And she's saying, my eye, my eye, my eye. And I said, I'm just after being discharged from hospital. I what pulled do down. I now dear? What do I do? Yeah. Do I turn around and go back? Do I go home? So I settled and I said, Chloe, do you know what? I said, when Dad gets a migraine, the car drives him mad. Yeah, I said, calm. Yeah. I said, yeah. calm down now for a few minutes, we'll settle. So it did settle and we motored on home. We had to stop a couple more times going home with the pain. But it did settle. So like we were into the Tuesday now. Got onto my own GP again the Tuesday. He said, yes, he said, Henry. marie He said, it, it more than likely is, he said, the migraine. Wednesday things kind of took a turn. So rang my own GP again on the Wednesday. And he said, yes, Henry, marie he said, monitor it. But Wednesday night, she got such a pain Wednesday night that she actually just slid down by the wall maybe about 8 o'clock, coming from the bathroom into her own bedroom. But as quick as it came, it went. It just totally went, this pain, as quick as it came. And she went into bed, but then as the night went on, she was clamming. I was checking the temperature. She was starting to hallucinate a little bit. So at 6 o'clock in the morning, I said to my husband, no, there's something going on. Got her into the car for maybe half, 7 to eight. And by the time I got from Kilbren to Mallow, my daughter couldn't look up, couldn't look down, couldn't move her head left to right. She just couldn't move her head at all. Her neck was gone completely rigid and stiff. (sighs) So the first thing that enters your head then is, I know what's going on. Yeah. yeah. You know, but up until that point, it hadn't. There was nothing whatsoever about it. My GP said, yes, Henry. He said, I'm thinking what you're thinking now. Got on the phone. My husband was at home on the farm and stuff. And he said, no, he's to meet you on the cock road. You're not going home. When we got there, it was all systems go They couldn't get veins, they couldn't get her potassium levels, the oxygen. They could they couldn't do any for tests. They couldn't do the MRIs. They couldn't do the lumbar punctures that evening because she wasn't stable enough. They got her on the medicine. And to this day, her pediatrician holds up her hands and she said, I do not know why I didn't give your child penicillin that evening, because the strain when it came back 10 days later, the strain of meningitis that she had was penicillin resistant
3: my god my you god. know and, and like um, Emer's story how long did it take how long were you in hospital Chloe
0: <laughs> we were in the hospital on the Thursday she wasn't diagnosed until Friday evening They sent up her off her test straight away she had loads of lumbar punctures she had the MRIs she had a bit of everything but what we didn't realise was that as well as she having meningitis strep pneumonia was after setting in with it and it was the Friday evening she was told she had the meningitis and she was in hospital then for 14 days on all the drips for fourteen days,
3: and you then had Liz. You I were, had Liz. did you, did to you touch base with? Liz?
0: Oh, by well, Liz text me. You? Liz yeah, texted. You, you got yeah. to hear Liz, did you? you oh, sure, yes. Yeah.
8: When they're in the same school, we heard that yeah. very yeah. fast, and we yeah. sure, with just being down the road. Mm. Yeah,
0: and we're very yeah. lucky. We have a small community, and we're very, we are very close up there as a community. Nobody, nobody's in anybody's face. Yeah, but if but you're in trouble, there for you. you're there. Yeah, everybody's so, there. And, yeah. Was, and did that help? to be able to talk to Liz unbelievable because I could text Liz from the hospital and I'd say great morning been very good I could text her but in two hours Liz what's going on it's yeah, a different yes. story but in two, y- two hours it's deteriorating and she'd say no anne it's taking its course yeah. relax you're in the hospital you know I would someone to touch base with because Liz you didn't
8: I didn't. Did you
0: find that was that difficult? I did. Because
8: once we heard it was meningitis, alarm bells ring straight away. I was totally panicked. And then she was still so sick and wanting to eat and getting sick and wanting to be better and asking me, when am I going to be better and all this? And I had no answers myself or nobody to turn to, you know? Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Chloe has no after effects? No, to be fair, that, 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 that still was. comes,
0: and the concentration yeah. was a huge thing at the start oh, for Chloe. Yes. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. that concentration yeah. does, does it. Liz?
8: That's a slow road. It's very concentration. Slow. I, just ish, Twelve months later, the teacher said to me, "Emma is now turning the corner wow. with concentration." Wow.
0: And we're we're very um, up and down to Cork now with hearing tests as well at the moment. Just one of Chloe's ears has gone back ever so slightly. But they had us told that up to six months after you having meningitis, it can deteriorate. Okay. Nothing significant that Chloe notices it herself. But when the You're machines aware. and the checking of yeah. it, it's showing up on it that it has gone back.
3: Aldrigan Glam, which says, Patricia, I'm a meningitis survivor. About 30 years ago, I had meningitis. The only side effect is determination to keep going. Yes. 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 Which yes. is great. Now, I want to bring in uh, Siobhan Carroll, who joins me uh, on the line. Um, uh, and unfortunately, I don't have headphones. I don't know if John Paul can organise some headphones for the girls. Uh, some of those headphones there. you know there's one set certainly working. Um, Siobhan Carroll is on the line and Siobhan is with an organisation called Act for Meningitis. Good morning to you Siobhan. Good morning Patricia. And know, How are you? I'm, I'm very well and I know you've been listening to, to Liz and uh, Anne-Marie. Now unfortunately your story doesn't have the happy outcome from, for Emer and uh, Chloe. You, yeah. you lost your little daughter and unfortunately it was very quick Siobhan.
9: Yeah. Um unlike Anne Marie and Liz and I just wanna you know, I just wanna say to them that it's just amazing for them to come on here and share their stories and you know it's gonna make you know, create so much awareness for people. But in in, in my case, um in April 2008, I lost my four-year-old daughter, Ava, to meningitis, and um, I was pregnant at the time, and I was being kept in the hospital in Galway, and Ava was at home with her dad. She was four, and Evan was two, her brother, and I, I rang them at nine o'clock to say goodnight to them, and um, at five in the morning, um, Ava's dad, and Noel, rang me to say that Ava was really sick, and the ambulance was on the way. And by the time the ambulance came to our house in Ormore, um, Ava had actually, you know, she, she had passed away within really six hours of being sick. Um, that um, we had lost her to meningitis. You know, they tried to, they brought her into the hospital where I was waiting at the front door and going in the ambulance and they tried to, um, you know, revive her, but it was too late for her and uh, within six hours, yeah, we'd lost her to meningitis and I suppose, Patricia, that's, that's the thing, you know, with meningitis, it's it's over hours, it can be a short space of time, like six hours, it can be 24 hours and as in the, as in the girls' case, they said, you know, it was over days that it was slowly, following. but I suppose it changed our lives, losing Ava and four weeks after that, I had no my little boy, and we said Sophie and, um, I suppose it brought us on a different journey in life, you know and that's, Absolutely. That's and the and the
3: and one thing about your story and, and the girls are the same. When people mm. think of meningitis, they think of a rash. Um, um and Ava didn't have a rash.
9: No now you said it. So, you know, for years people have always assumed that once the rash appeared you were dealing with meningitis but in a lot of cases, no more than in our case and with Chloe Niemer, there was no rash and the rash may never appear and if it does appear it's at a very late stage you know, and you need to get medical medical help immediately. So with meningitis, um, you know, is there's early symptoms that people like include fever, headache, vomiting, muscle pain, fever of cold hands and feet and, you know, some of the symptoms that Marie and Liz have described what the girls went through but the rashes I said may never appear so you need to trust your instincts and exactly what Anne-Marie and Liz did and what our organisation acts we just say to people trust your instincts you know your own child. You know they're not usually like this when they're sick, and get medical help. And that's both—you know—that's what they both did. And it's, yeah, and it's the one like, thing. Know, it's the the
3: one outcome. thing that struck me when they were both, when both Liz and Amory um, we were talking about, and, and it was on the tip of my tongue to say, "You know your own child. You know yes, that this is, that is a normal for, for for your own child."
9: Yes, trust your instincts. Trust your instincts because you know they're not usually like this when they're sick. And gradually, with meningitis, over hours, and in their case, over days, they gradually were getting worse. And you know, and then it's time to go and get medical advice and no more than you know what Emery said if you're not happy you know like go get a second opinion you know go to somebody else because you know this isn't the way they usually are and you have to be the voice for their child and that you know they both did that and, Okay you know, and tell me God tell no me about there.
3: about ACT for me- meningitis yeah. that you set up with your husband
9: Okay so um, ACT stands for the Ava Carl Trust and we want people to act that suspect meningitis so when I walked out of the hospital, I felt like I knew nobody that had been affected by meningitis or the last someone to meningitis, and I wanted to try and stop another family going through what we went through. So the charity's eight years up and running. We're based in Galway, but we're a national organisation. So our aim is to create awareness around the signs and symptoms of meningitis, and we offer free support to anybody affected by meningitis in Ireland. So you know, sadly in Ireland, one in ten who get the disease every year will die, and one in three are left with side effects. So we're here to give support to those people and, you know, to get to meet each other and no more than, thankfully, Amri and Liz having each other to have a support network there so you're not alone. And we, we're there to give them the help that they need and um, to raise awareness. And that's what well,
3: and, I suppose it's well about. Well done. And you have a, have a, a great uh, website that um, I'd, I'd ask people to go see because it, it really is fantastic. Listen, thank you for sharing your story uh, with you, us, uh, sure. Siobhan. Uh, thank you for that. And I'll go back to the girls because um, uh, we're having problems with the girls. I've not been able to hear that. Um, anyway, um, you, have you both used ACT, um, the, the website and the support group?
0: We have. have we you? have a bit yeah. now. Like we got in touch, like I got on to, to Liz and I'm saying, God, Liz, where do we go from here? Yeah, We don't want any other family to go through what we went through. And all it is is to say, keep going back, keep going back, keep going back. Because there's no support once you come out that hospital door and you get into your own house, no matter what anybody says to you, they're fine, they're grand, they're grand. There's no one to tell you that this is normal. I know. Doctors I know. don't know enough yeah. about meningitis because there's so many symptoms. And it's no disrespect to any doctor. Every symptom is different with a, with a meningitis survivor. Mm. They can tell us that this is normal. But once you start talking to other people. So I kind of got in touch, Liz and myself did, with Acton. Yes. The more we spoke to Siobhan she made us feel girls you're grand yes. yeah. you're fine her you're normal and, and
3: herself and her husband they share the story on unbelievable. the website It uh, actually I cried when I, when I looked yes. at it. it's a tough tough it's unbelievable thing. I mean she was about to have a baby and to be in hospital and for the little one to get sick it was
0: just like they had 24 hours yeah, was what it's they just, had I mean
3: it, it brought home how quick yes. meningitis can, can yes. and children die from meningitis every year in this country let's be and honest it's that's not the even just
0: children that's what we're trying to make make aware. I think Liz and myself are very much aware at this stage that you're heading back into the new college year. Yeah. Students 17, 18, 19 years of age, they're leaving home in September to go to college. Pa- children that are young say Chloe's and Emmer's age and even 14 and 15 that are at home. We as their parents are their voice. We speak for them. We take them to the doctor. We push. We say it's not right. But you have a nineteen year old that gets up on a Tuesday morning, let it be in Dublin, Limerick, Cork, God I don't feel well, I don't feel a bit well. And no disrespect to his housemates or flatmates. Ash your grand. We were out late last night. Yeah. You're fine, you're fine, yeah. you're fine. If he if he or she is not feeling well, they have to be their own voice. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it stand has up. It, it three, has happened. Three in the second week of January this year between Belfast and Dublin in college My died God. with meningitis. My and Siobhan
8: God. said it's very common in 50 55
0: yeah. year olds it over. Isn't, it, isn't it isn't just
3: is. children. No. Okay, you've got a fundraiser. You're we doing, do. You're doing. to tell me about your coffee morning. We it's do. This weekend, Sunday morning. This Sunday.
8: Okay. Sunday morning, Kilburn Community Centre. It's a bake sale and coffee morning um, from 10 until 2 love to see as many as possible these okay. two
0: girls have been working like trojan yeah. troopers making posters well, getting John, everything ready no, no. they troopers and
3: when are you going back to school girls uh, thursday week, thursday 20 week. Night. 29th yeah it's coming fast isn't it tomorrow week it's yes. tomorrow week and what class are you going into um tenth Eimer. class Eimer's i'm going in third. sixth class oh wow confirmation year
4: um, I got my confirmation last
3: year. Oh, you did fifth and sixth together. She was just okay. out of hospital one week. Whoa, well done, well yeah. done, well done. Okay, so people are welcome to come along. Uh, Liz, have a cup of coffee. Yes, uh, uh, i And I take it all the local people are baking buns, are they? Yes, they're fantastic. And yeah, we have, have Siobhan is coming down to us. Siobhan she? and John Great. are coming
0: down. And they're, they're not going to have a huge, massive talk, but they're just going to make people aware. Yeah. We have awareness cards for people. Like you'd often see... The kidney cards or yes. the stroke cards and all them it's a huge campaign that act is running to get all these cards out they're going to nationwide, schools. Isn't it? it's yeah. nationwide it's nationwide the starting nationwide in into every chemist in the country from Hold september on. because if you go into a chemist have you ever seen a sign up for meningitis no no none you, of us you have you see
3: the fast one for stroke you will you will, you will, you will. You so see this
0: is what we're trying to do is get all this awareness out there so we have packages for schools we have packages for the chemists. we've Anyone that just wants to pick up, doctors, surgeries, they're all going into it. It's all being rolled out from September. But we will have these on Sunday Sunday for all our local community and the wider community. Come on, come come and join us. We can't emphasise enough. You know, speak up for your children, speak up for your teenagers. They need to know you need to stand up and keep right. going back. Follow well, your there, instinct, there's Yes, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's yeah.
3: nothing like a mammy's love. Yes. You're, you're two strong women. <laughs> keep going. You'll get that message out. Girls, you're lucky. You're lucky to have the mammies and daddies that you have. So, listen, uh, thanks a million for joining us in studio and sharing your thanks, story. Thanks very hear very hear much, much. And Imar and uh, Chloe, and also for joining us on the line, uh, Siobhan Carroll from um, Act for Meningitis. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2 103, 103. Okay, in time for our bi-monthly feature with uh, Awalia. And today we are looking at different solutions for families finding themselves in mortgage uh, difficulty. And joining me is Alan McGee, who's a personal insolvency practitioner, commonly known as a PIP. Good morning to you, Alan. Good morning. Uh, and, and you are welcome. Now, uh, start with personal insolvency arrangements. What is the application process?
7: Well, initially what will happen is is that it is done through a PIP once the debtor has met with the PIP and has been given advice. And it's essential that the debtor would meet with the PIP in person so that they'd have a meaningful meeting to discuss their options. And that's a requirement under the legislation. So any debtor should never settle for a telephone conversation. They should always meet with the PIP in person. And Once they've decided to pursue this process, an application is made by the PIP's office for a protective certificate that's granted by court. And once this protective certificate is granted and put people at ease, there's no need for uh, the debtor to ever attend court. There's a period of 70 days in which a person's creditors are legally prevented from ever contacting them or enforcing any court order. And that gives the time and space in which to allow a PIP develop a proposal and hold a creditor's meeting to allow the, vote, the creditor's vote on the proposal.
3: And it gives breathing space to the people who've been, I imagine, not sleeping at night with the worry.
7: The letters stop, the phone calls stop, the people showing up at the door, the sheriff coming, all of that stops immediately. So it gives people a bit of breathing space.
3: So what happens then at the end of the 70 days?
7: A creditor's meeting is held, and if the arrangement is approved, it will become live for the length of the arrangement. And if it's not approved, it may qualify for an appeals process that we spoke about previously. And the duration of arrangements can last from six months to six years. So I can take you through a few of the types yeah, of Yeah, please
3: do. Yeah, please do.
7: Okay. The. Uh, these are solutions that I've actually achieved for people here in Cork, and they vary in the types of uh, circumstances. Like the first one I'll, t- I'll tell you about is a personal insolvency arrangement where there was a family of three husband, the wife, and a teenage daughter who were in mortgage arrears arising out of the husband losing his job in 2010 and they couldn't afford the mortgage. They tried throughout the period to engage with the banks but they couldn't reach an agreement and the loan was eventually sold on to a vulture fund who went to court and got an order for repossession. And these people then got a letter in March this year from the sheriff demanding possession of the property. And at that stage, they went to MABS under the Owalia scheme and subsequently contacted me. And the solution that was achieved in agreement with the bank now was that if the mortgage was restructured to what was affordable on the husband's new salary, now that he's gone back to work, and all the other unsecured debts were wiped out, and that arrangement is going to last 12 months. And they're back, their home is safe, they're paying what they can afford to pay at a level uh, commensurate with the mortgage and the value of the house.
3: And then, Anna, what happens at the end of the 12 months?
7: It's all over. They're out of the insolvency arrangement. They can start re-establishing their credit uh, rating. Wow. And they get on with life.
3: Wow, wow. And then there is, well that's for 12 months, then there's a, you've got a case where it was a six-year
7: arrangement. A, a six-year Explain year one. that one. The the maximum duration of a PIA is six years. And it will be expected that a debtor would do a six year arrangement where they have capacity to fund it. In this case here there was a husband and wife with the family who were growing up. The husband was on disability and the wife had a business that was generating a livelihood. And they had invested in properties for their pension and with the crash the the properties uh markets fell apart. They couldn't afford the property loans but their own home had equity in it, and they were in danger of losing everything because of the property loans. So they entered into an insolvency arrangement, and the solution was that the investment properties were sold and losses crystallized. They traded down their own home to a smaller house, mortgage-free, and which was adequate to their needs, and the balance of the equity in their home was contributed to creditors, along with a six-year payment plan, And the ending result is that they are now three years into this arrangement. The debtor's wife is keeping her business going and that's keeping their livelihood. They have a home mortgage free and there's several hundred thousand euros of the debts written off and they're getting on with life.
3: Um, And that arrangement will last for six years. And then there's, you have another uh, example of one of a 12-month arrangement that was approved on appeal.
7: Yeah. Here's one where... The husband was the sole earner and he was working and earning a low wage and his wife was minding their four young children at home. And they have a mortgage that was €80,000 in negative equity and was unaffordable. And the banks for the last number of years were keeping them on interest-only payments, which was never going to repay the mortgage. Mm. So they came to me and we did an insolvency arrangement and the solution proposed was to write down the mortgage to the value of the home and extend the terms so that the repayments were affordable. And these repayments were €700 Euro per month, which is cheaper than any market rent. The bank voted against it, and the courts overruled the banks and approved the PAA. Well, well, done. Appeal.
3: well, well done, well done. I mean, we we're only, we were, and I know tomorrow we're again going to be done about rents. So we met, we were talking about it yesterday with I. It's so expensive to rent. I mean, they will be paying way more on a house Absolutely. for, for, for Absolutely, they crazy. can't
7: find a house either.
3: Yeah, that's so the other... So yeah. to
7: have a house, we should always try and retain the home, even if it is under the mortgage-to-rent scheme.
3: Explain that one to us.
7: The mortgage-to-rent scheme, it's a government-backed scheme where a person would sell their home to a housing agency and then it would be rented back from the housing agency at an affordable rate. And this is done with the backing of the government and the county councils, right? The advantage of pursuing this solution through an insolvency arrangement is that it will get rid of all your other debts as well. So in many solutions that I've achieved for people under the mortgage to rent, they might have credit union debt or credit card debt or uh, money lender debt. All of that gets wiped out as well, so that the people will retain occupancy of their home their children will continue to grow up in the house they're in and their other debts are gone, allowing them the, the freedom to restart their lives.
3: Is that, is that unsecured debt?
7: Yes, but yeah. the, the, the secured debt goes away as well because yeah. they, the, the house is bought from the secured creditor at, a, at an agreed price and the balance of the debt is written off. But at the same time, we get rid of all the unsecured debt as well.
3: Tell me this the, about the couple in their 60s whose house had been repossessed.
7: The, what happened here was a couple, they were in their 60s, they were suffering from ill health and the bank had repossessed their home and sold it and created a loss of over €100,000, I think it was 107000 The bank were still pursuing them for, for the residual debt. And the people hadn't anything to pay to it. With. So through family and friends we generated a small lump sum and we did an insolvency arrangement that wrote off all the residual debt for that small lump sum and it the DSA lasted for six years. For sorry, for six months. And these people now are out of it two years now at this stage and getting on with their lives God
3: help them. God God help them. And then what if you owe revenue debt?
7: Revenue debt is is a particular type of debt in that it's what's known as excludable. In other words, revenue can opt in or opt out of the process. Revenue debt is unusual in that if any ordinary accountant or financial advisor went and negotiated a, a, a deal on revenue debt, that debt is parked, it's never written off. It's only in a formal insolvency arrangement can revenue debt be written off forever. So if you did it informally and it was parked and you had the good fortune to win the lotto or something <laughs> like that down the road, the revenue can come back and say you owe us that parked money, whereas in an insolvency arrangement, it's written off forever. And revenue will generally opt in if they're going, if all they Revenue returns are filed, and if there's some basic level of payment to them, they may, they'll generally opt in.
3: Okay, so it is important that you have all your, your your returns filed and up to date when you're going into the process?
7: Yes, or yeah. when you meet your PIP, that you do it as soon as possible yeah. after you meet the PIP. Yeah. Okay,
3: and again, with all of the examples that you you've given... Um, Alan, what's important for people, and you know, I'm always conscious when we do this slot, that there will be people listening who will be identifying with a lot of the stories and the examples we're using, is to make contact because the help is available.
7: Help is available and the AWALIA scheme is there. So it's not its not going to cost somebody anything if they're in mortgage arrears to go and meet somebody from MABS and meet so, uh, an insolvency practitioner. They can either go to MABS directly or they can go to the insolvency practitioner directly. But if if they're in mortgage arrears there's no reason why they should not get proper advice.
3: Okay, and you can contact Awali at zero seven six one zero seven two triple zero O seven six one zero seven to 000. Uh, Alan, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. No problem. Uh, okay. Good morning to you. That is Alan McGee, who is a personal insolvency practitioner.
7: You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
3: As we've just been hearing on the news, a pregnant woman has appeared in court charged with the murder of two-year-old Santina Crawley who was uh, died in an apartment in Cork City last month. Fiona Corcoran, our senior news reporter, was in court for us and she joins us. Uh, good afternoon to Fiona. Good afternoon. OK, you. it's uh, Karen Harrington, a 35-year-old, and she appeared in court this morning. That's
5: right. Uh, Detective Garda Cormac Crossey told the court today that he arrested Karen Harrington at an address at Lakeland Crescent in Manhattan just before 8 o'clock this morning. She was taken to the Brightwell Garden Station and she, there she was charged with the murder of Santina Colley at Elderwood Park, or in Manor Road on July 5th last. So after being cautioned, she replied, I don't understand why I'm getting charged. I didn't murder no one. Uh, now, Her solicitor, Paula McCarthy, told the court that they'd be seeking an adjournment for a week and that Karen Harrington would have to be re- remanded in custody because they couldn't make a bail application today. Because of the nature of the charge, a murder charge bail application will always be dealt with in the High Court. Um, And she also asked that Karen Harrington, um, who actually has an address at Elderwood Park Boring Manor Road, that she receive any necessary medical attention while in custody because she's four and a half months pregnant. And Judge Mary Dorgan uh, remanded her in custody until the 26th of August next and she directed that she get that necessary medical attention. Um, Now it was... um, there, there, it was it was a special sitting today, Patricia. Um, and the court had members of Santina Cawley's family there, including her mother, who was physically obsessed in court today. Um, and Karen Harrington herself, um, she came into court just before 11 o'clock and she was dressed in a grey, kind of a fluffy hoodie with bare ears on the hood of it and she had beige-coloured jeans and white runners. And she didn't speak for the short hearing. Um, and then she was brought out
1: um, by by
5: his um. Mm. Now there was no reaction really from um, Santina Collie's family, and they were all upset, and
0: yeah. um,
5: but there was nothing. Uh, there was no major scenes in court or anything like that. So, um, it's been, uh, you know, it was flagged during the week that uh, detectives were making huge progress on this case, and that you know they had interviewed or they had taken statements from fifty different people had a lot of medical and forensic evidence, they had CCTV footage and um, we knew that a person had been arrested before and that a charge had been sent to DPP. Um So we were expecting some sort of a development, um, but today's news came quite quickly then in the end. Um, so, yeah, so she will be remanded in custody now. Um, Until
3: the 26th.
5: 26th and she'll appear again in court.
3: And it will ends. there be a bail application on that day, do you believe?
5: Uh, well the bail application will have to be made in the High Court okay. so um, it will have to be done before then and okay. um, then yeah and then after that uh, Gary will have to get the book vessels ready for any trial so um, she could be remanded for several
3: months after, yeah. until, until and, the and, and, and we know a post-mortem was carried out but they, the results of that were never released so they weren't There was operational reasons uh,
5: Yeah I can yeah. with say anything uh, with a case like this the post-mortem results were never re- yeah. officially released but we do know that she suffered um, serious head injuries during an assault at the apartment at Elderwood Park um, and that she was found in a critically injured state um, in the early hours of the 5th of July and uh, she was rushed to Cork
3: University Hospital. She was out God, of I was, when you said the 5th of July, it was I, my God, it's, it's almost six weeks ago because it was such a shocking case. I mean, it, it's, it had the whole city and county talking about it.
5: I did, yeah. I think not even the city and county. I think the whole country were yeah, talking about yeah. it. It was just so sad. And um, I was actually off at the time, and I remember hearing it. And it touched more than it was just, It was just awful
3: shocking case. Yeah, I think it's the fact that it's it's a small child as well, it's awful. All right, listen, thank you for that update um, Fiona, Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, Bye bye, that is Fiona Corcoran, our uh, senior news reporter on that uh, story that has just broken from the courts this morning that uh, um, 35-year-old Karen Harrington has been charged with the murder of that little toddler, uh, Santina Cawley, at the uh, apartment in Cork City last month and once again we think of little Santina and her parents and her family and uh, may she rest in peace. It's just such a sad sad case. OK, Keep your gardening questions coming, please, uh, because Peter Dowder will be joining us after half past 12 uh, today. And by the way, phone lines were incredibly busy earlier on today. If you're having difficulties getting through our apologies, you can text or WhatsApp 862 103 103, particularly if it is a gardening question you're trying to get into us. And you also... Actually, John Paul tells me we can use Facebook Messenger as well. If you're on Facebook, you can send us a, fi- a private message on our Facebook page as well, because we keep an eye on that and uh, we can pick up your comment through that. Now, some of your comments in. Car- Kieran, sorry, Kieran. Kieran was on to say that there's been much talk about the public services card and GDPR. Kieran is asking about the information that you give when you apply for a medical card. And he said the reason he he brings it to mind and he's worried about it is he is looking after an elderly man helping out this elderly man at the moment who is applying for a medical card and maybe it's a medical card renewal. And Kieran said the amount of financial statements and bank statements that this elderly man has to send off in order to get his medical card. And Kieran is just wondering how safe is all of this? He said, I know they need the data. I know particularly because I'm medical card is means tested but he said what if any, any, any of it goes missing all of the man's details around those uh, statements surely there's a GDPR when it comes to medical card applications as well uh, do they really need all that information well they will tell you if it's the. I mean you said it yourself it's the very fact that it is means tested they are going to need the, in, the information but um, they, I think the difference with the with the public services card was they were sharing it. The Department of Social Welfare were taking in all that information and they were sharing it with other departments. I think it was 60 departments and state bodies they were sharing the information with whereas the medical card section the information will go into the medical card section and it will stay within the with the medical card section it won't be shared with anyone else and obviously they have all their own GDPR and they have uh, everything in, in place to protect all of the information. Now, I know people can get hacked and that does happen, but generally speaking, uh, it is fairly safe and uh, secure. But yeah, they nearly ask you what you want for breakfast when you're filling in any any of those forms. It's uh, It does seem quite crazy. OK, some of your their questions to Peter. Thank you for that. Some of your other topics coming in. We were talking about meningitis with the ladies in the last hour. Susan says good morning um, Trish. Ten years ago I contracted meningitis and it was nearly fatal. Today my daughter, Lainey Sands, travels to base camp in Everest walking on behalf of the Meningitis Trust. She raised €3,000 for the cause along with 30 other young people. Isn't that incredible? And on the day that we're talking about meningitis, well done to those two young mothers for highlighting the dangers of meningitis and good luck uh, to the young people who are taking part in that traveling to base camp in Everton. The best of luck to Laney Sands. That's uh, fantastic. And thank you, Susan for sending that in. It's just really coincidental that we were talking about it today on the day that your daughter travels to base camp in Evers. Let's hope they have a very, very safe trip and a really good cause and fantastic sum of money to raise. Well done. OK, we were talking about speeding and I mentioned a proposal that's been put forward by the Minister for Transport, Shane Ross. He is suggesting that we introduce graduated speeding penalties. And the idea is the depending on what speed you're doing that will depend on the severity of your fine and, the, and how many penalty points that you would actually get and if you went over the very top limit I think he's saying is 30 kilometres you wouldn't you would no longer be dealt with under the penalty point system you, you instead would face a prosecution and you would be charged with dangerous driving some of your thoughts on that uh, Noel says if speed kills how come more of our rally drivers worldwide are not killed it's bad drivers that kill and I see that every day of the week as I'm a truck driver just yesterday I saw a woman brushing her hair while driving along and then this morning I saw a lad with his jeep and trailer straddling the white line at 60 kilometres an hour and that continued for almost 10 kilometres on a good wide road said Noel obviously the guy wasn't concentrating and didn't we only um, was it the end of last week at the start of this week didn't we mention uh, somebody videotaped or took a photograph of a woman who was clearly watching a TV programme on her smartphone and she had it up on the dashboard and she was driving along and was clearly watching a television programme while, while driving. Now how in God's name could you be concentrating at, at the same time? So Noel says nothing to do with speeding it's more to do with bad drivers. Uh, Audrey agrees with Shane Ross. He said let them be hit in the pockets of drivers. Hit them though with even bigger fines. Those fines that you mentioned said Audrey are actually too low. So she's in agreement with Shane Ross to increase the fines. Somebody else is making the point that that'll be hard because there's no one out there to catch them. So if you want to do that, if you want to catch people for speeding then you need to have more speed traps is the suggestion from this listener. Eddie says, Shane Ross is Mr Moneybags. It's all about money. That's all he wants, says uh, Eddie. And Eddie also wants to highlight a petrol station that built a cold shed over their d- disabled parking area. It's still painted blue. You can see it, said Eddie, in uh, Ovens but you See, if it's a petrol station that's private property, it's up to the individual garages if they want to have disabled parking base. And maybe they're going to put a disabled parking base somewhere else. But if it's on private property there's no there's nothing under law to state that they have to have so many disabled bays many do many do but they don't all have to have them uh, unfortunately 1850 my text message service is going mad on me there uh, oh there it's back again with me keep the your gardening questions coming there's a lot of them coming in for Peter thank you for that and Michael where's Michael's text Michael Kelleher in Ryland says hi Patricia I enjoyed your little slip earlier we the shop in Bantry I believe the phrase should be that shop sells everything from a needle to an anchor, not a haystack, as you said. I love it. You're sincerely Michael Kelleher in uh, Rylan. And actually, the texter, in fairness, it's mea culpa. The person who there's no name on the text is you know, the person who sent it in. It was to do with the mothballs. Uh, this was the lavender scented cedar mothballs that are available at John and Doreen Hurley's shop in Bantry, Clearly states in their text a shop where you can get everything from a needle to an anchor, but I mixed (laughs) it saying up with when you when it's hard to find something, it's like looking for a needle in a haystack. So I got it all uh, confused. So thank you, Michael, uh, for I'm glad I brought you a, a little smile with my error. 1853. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up.
1: You can already hear the beach waves.
3: Three three one zero three lines open.
0: The C one zero three Cork Diary with
7: Cork County Council supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie.
3: The popular Clonakilty guided historical town walks, they're held every Wednesday evening during the month of August. So they're on again tonight. You can meet at the Michael Collins statue at uh, seven o'clock, and the walk takes about an hour and a quarter. All are welcome. The five-day Masters of Tradition Festival that runs from today through to the 25th of August, featuring a series of Irish traditional music performances in Bantry. Fremont Summer Coyotes, their sessions continue in Fremont Heritage Centre. That's also on Wednesday nights. It starts at half past eight. Well worth a visit with music, song and dance and storytelling. Special guests this week, L marie O'Dwyer and Tracy Milan. Back to School Bingo that's going to be held in Clondraud Community Hall tonight that's at half past eight while Glenmire Heritage Group they've got a guided bus tour by John O'Callaghan of Local Historical Buildings that's on uh, tonight seven o'clock you to please meet at the Community Centre. Bingo's on tonight in the Adele Quinn Hall in Kentuck, half past eight with a jackpot of four and a half thousand euros. C103
8: and Cork Volunteer Centre presents the very first Cork Volunteer Awards, taking place Friday, October 11th.
7: These awards aim to celebrate and recognise remarkable people throughout Cork who selflessly give their time and talent to benefit local communities. Visit volunteercork.ie now and shine a light on your volunteers by nominating them for an award.
8: The Cork Volunteer Awards 2019 at the Kingsley Hotel with Cork Volunteer Centre, Cork Independent and Cork's Greatest Hits,
2: C103.
3: Well, I just mentioned sometimes if you lose something, it's like looking for a needle in a haystack trying to find it. Well, fingers crossed that this isn't going to be like looking for a needle in a haystack. Eileen from Featherton County Tipperary, originally from Bandon, has contacted the programme. She joins me. Good afternoon to you, Eileen. Good afternoon, Patricia. Now, Eileen, it was this day last week you were in beautiful Guganbara.
2: Yes, my sister and
5: I went to Guganbara. Um, We had parked there just outside the cafe attached to the hotel. Um, We had, you know, something to eat there and then went from there to the oratory, lit a few candles, returned in and then we, oh, sorry, we called into the gift shop and then went back into the car. And during... That time, my sister lost a brooch, which is of no financial value whatsoever, but is of immense sentimental value. It was my mother's brooch, Ah. and it is approximately 90 years old.
3: All right, but it's costume jewellery. It not got diamonds and rubies and pearls. Well, no, I'll I'll,
5: I'll describe it for you. It's, it's, it's It's a gold bracelet.
3: Okay.
10: It's
5: a narrow bar. About approximately two inches long, with a purple stone in the centre. And again, as I say, it is not of financial uh, value, yeah. but it's of huge sentimental value. And we would, we're offering a reward. Uh, if anybody finds it, we would be just so grateful.
3: Did you I'm contact so anybody in Gugambara? Yes con- we did yeah, I know. we rang um, yeah. Mrs Lucy there she owns the hotel and
5: she said she would have a look for it and she would contact me if um, anybody handed it in or if she yeah. found it herself but I haven't heard from her so obviously they she haven't. didn't find it. So What we're,
3: we're, we we're hoping for is somebody else who was in Gugambara this day yeah. last week would have seen it and maybe picked it up and thought oh that's a nice little brooch and just brought it home with them that's what we're hoping has happened.
5: Please God, yeah, hopefully that is what happened. Or, you know, somebody could be a lot walking along today and they could And be, find uh, it, you know? yeah,
3: absolutely, because absolutely. sometimes
5: you don't find things immediately. It could be a week, two weeks, it could be six months, it could be any time. Yeah. So we're just hoping that somebody might spot it on the ground and maybe, you know, contact your radio station. Yeah,
3: absolutely. And do you know, it, it was the cat's clasp maybe a bit dodgy on it, you know? How uh, did
5: it, it was obviously a bit dodgy. Was, um, uh, and she just things. My sister, Cleanna, uh, thinks that she, you know, didn't perhaps tie it properly or mm. perhaps that the clasp was a little bit dodgy. It was, I mean, it's an old, it's an old brooch. And really, uh, without getting too sentimental, she wore it because we were visiting our parents' grave in Inchigila, which oh. we do on an annual basis. And she wore it specifically because we were going there. She normally
3: doesn't wear it. Yeah, yeah. You, know? you wanted to bring and a bit of your mother with yeah, you almost. Yeah, a little
5: bit, a little mm. bit. And, um, uh, I don't want to be too maudlin or you know, anything know. Like that, but I'm just you know explaining the background to it and basically it's an annual kind of trip that we do down to Inchiquita up to Gugon and you know we, we unfortunately she you know yeah. through, and you
3: had a lovely day and then oh, just, just ruined great by time. the losing of the brooch that it was, was just, really yeah.
5: because again as I say it's something that's very precious to us and you know we'd give anything yeah. to it'll mean,
3: it'll it, mean to nothing to it. whoever finds it not a thing it's what it means to you, to you and your family yeah. and you've done the you said a prayer to St Anthony and all of that
5: yes have we, you uh, yeah. Yeah. we've, I'm, I'm we've great faith
3: Saint <laughs> We I'm big into St Anthony so am I and we've great yeah. faith in this programme in St Anthony he's found more stuff for us over the years oh, see, so, oh, so prayers yeah, to yeah. St Anthony please we'll keep yes. in contact with you Eileen alright Thank you. Okay, look so after much yourself. God bless. God bless. And
5: I appreciate your help. Thank no you. No bye problem. Bye
3: bye. So, anybody in Barra this day last week may have picked it up or has been in Gugambara since, or if you're visiting Gugambara will you keep a lookout for that brooch, please? It's an old brooch, 90 years uh, old. Of no financial value to anyone who finds it, but of immense value to Eileen and her sister, so much so that they're putting up a reward for its safe return. So contact us and we can put you in contact with Eileen. It'd be lovely if we could get this brooch back. Now I want to move on to uh, Sharon, joins me. Sharon Kellaway. Uh, this is an incident that happened in Kilworth Park that left Sharon's, ele- your 11 year old son, uh, good afternoon to Sharon. It left your 11 you? year old son on crutches
2: yes um, he was in the play park um, at the bank holiday weekend and the zip wire um, chain gave way while he was in full motion swinging down the zip wire when it hit the end the, but the tyre is you it know, bounces up in the air a bit and normally it goes back down again to a low level yeah. but when it reached the highest point the chain detached and he was flung up onto the ground now he was lucky Look, there was no major damage done it was a bit of soft tissue damage you know. I would say it wasn't a big deal he, he didn't break a leg but he was unconscious the rest of the week with soft tissue damage and he couldn't go to the sports camp and he couldn't do sports in the evening the rest of the week. No lasting damage done, but he was very lucky. Mm. Um, the play park is in, a, is in disrepair at the moment and it needs a lot of work doing to it. And I've been, I've been, I rang in April, I rang in May. Um, in June, a part of the, the toddler fixture collapsed and they put railings all around it. My problem is it's just taking so long to do anything with the playground to get anything fixed. And I feel if I, if I didn't voice my concerns, if I didn't go on the radio, if I didn't get people to ring the county the Council Office or email in, they'd be doing nothing. Be, be, how long would we be waiting? That's the problem, I suppose, you know.
3: So you um, reckon it's, it's a neglected play park, basically, is what you're describing. Yes,
2: yeah, the council are obliged to inspect it weekly, which apparently they do do, and I, I don't doubt that. And they're, they're obliged to record anything that's wrong with the park, which I don't doubt they, you know, they, they do it. But they're also obliged to do the repair and maintenance of the park on a regular basis, and that's what they're not doing. Um, like, I complained about the wood rot back in April. I complained about the, the, the safety mats on the ground that are all lifting and there's, like, little gaps in them. It's, maybe it's not going to cause an immediate danger to the children right now, but these are the prayers that need to be done to stop any problems later on that are going to cause... Um, you know, children to get hurt later on.
3: And these, and parks, not doing these. these parks are important. I'm sure your, your young lad they're loves going down not there. That's
2: important. They're actually in se- essential to the kids. It's it's a place where they can go to meet friends, have a big area to play, and not everyone's got a big back garden or things like trampolines or that in their garden to play with. And it's a place where they can go and burn off energy. It's great for kids socially, emotionally, physically. There's so many reasons why they should be able to go to the playground. And that's why I suppose every village and every town has got a playground. Um, but there's no point having one there if it's not fit for
3: the purpose intended. And I saw on the Cork BO uh, website, they contacted Cork yes. Council. And I know uh, John Paul is doing the same thing for us here. Uh, and they say that currently two items are decommissioned in the Kilworth playground, the zip wire. Uh, and, and obviously that was after your lads. Yes. Uh, it, it's now decommissioned. I yeah, mean, that,
2: that's the chain is tied up now, so that can't be used. Ah. Uh, <sighs> But it's Uh, the length of time has taken to get all these things fixed. And that's only because I've been going public about it, you know. The the toddler fixture is decommissioned, but that's decommissioned since the middle of June. And they say that they're getting some works done at the beginning of September. They haven't said exactly what, or that it will definitely be fixed beginning September. But it's not just those bits. It's it's the the build-up of um, wood rot that's that's currently there at the moment. The the, the rocking chicken is headless. The chicken has got no head. It uh, hasn't had a head for maybe six months. The roundabout doesn't turn properly. These are items that are not fit for the purpose intended. Do you know it? it, The roundabout's not going to cause danger to a child because it can't spin fast enough, but it can't be used properly though. The chicken has got no head, and it's it's not probably going to cause it <laughs> I'm, I'm, la- I'm laughing
3: at the way The chicken has got no head, but I know head the point you making Headless chicken, yeah. And is is it a popular playground?
2: It is a popular playground. I mean, there's there's people that go the regulars, people that pop in. i like, I miss if I take my kids to other playgrounds sometimes just for a change of scenery. Likewise, people from other villages and, and towns come into Kilworth playground because it is a lovely playground to use from time to time as well. It, it definitely is used. It's not just used during the summer time. There's no point saying, well, what's the point in fixing it now? summer's nearly over, the playground is used 12 months of the year mm. as long as it's not lashing raining, you can find my kids up there, I don't like going out in the rain too much, but and, and you know the slide becomes too slippery and all the rest of it, but if it's the kids can put on a coat, hat and a scarf, they can go up there even when it's cold, it's not that it's not going to be used in September, October, November December and going forward You know, and I, like, I'm, I'm not doing this for any personal gain to myself only the fact that I want the playground up money again, well done for five, five well, children, well, well, and five done. kids of an age that were used
3: to playground Yeah, you well are done. You know, and we we all complain enough, but we we have to go public and let people know. And now, that's how things get. That's how yeah, things get sorted. I didn't
2: go public straight away. I I rang. The, it happened on the bank holiday sun, Sunday. I went to Malla Hospital on the bank holiday Monday, mm. and he was put on crutches the rest of the week. Came home, and at ten past nine, I was on the phone on Tuesday morning, ringing for my council just to log the complaint and ask them what they can do about it. I was met with a bit of a huff and a puff, you know, because I suppose they probably had loads of jobs to come back into After the bank holiday weekend. They said that someone would go out straight away and check it. Straight away, I would have thought that day, the next day, um, there was obviously a chain hanging straight down and I was concerned I could hit another child in the face yeah. with no weight. And they're big chains. And they had said that they would call me back and I don't say whatever to me, I don't know, but they'd give me a call back. No call came. After about 10 days, I got on to Councillor Noel McCarthy. He said his father, I thought maybe he'll get a proper answer for me, you know. He rang up, it took him several days to get any bit of an answer and when he came back uh, the following week with an answer it was like oh there's someone going out definitely now tomorrow and he is going to call you himself from the council to let you know what's going to go on. And I never had a phone call. You're still waiting on the call. And I got the them and I thought why are they just not even returning a call to me? You know, to let me know what's going on. My child has had an accident there. Now, I, um, Patricia, I'm not looking to make a claim. I'm not looking to get monetary well for this. Well done, well
3: All done, well done. All
2: I'm looking for is a to park, get the park for the other children. Running, yeah, for the children. The free that the kids can go back to playing again. My kids asked me yesterday, could they go to the park? And I said, you can't. The big slide, That there are still things there that, that you can still use, but the big slide is very bouncy and the kids know it. And the older kids are running up and down the slide because they get a bit of a bounce off of it. There's a lot of wood rot at the end. I don't know if that's the cause for bouncing so much. There's too much of a give on it. I'm worried the big slide will come down next they can go up and they can play in the roundabout but it doesn't spin it if you spin it once it tightens like your, like a screw cap and then you have to unwind it but you have to like as an adult even I have to push it quite hard to move it Gosh, so it doesn't
3: that's, really that's work ridiculous ok and yeah, how is your son now?
2: he's absolutely fine honestly like <laughs> you know, we can fish cut, and ready, ready to he, go back he to school didn't complain too much for being on the couch for a few days with
3: the TV <laughs> you know to be honest and did but, you go to the minor injury clinic in Mallow? Mallow yes, yeah. Yes. They, were they good? they were very good yeah. in and out in an hour and a half better than going
2: up to the, the hospital city, You know. Yeah. Better, I have to say you know yeah
3: it is great alright listen Sharon we will stay in contact with you I promise you that and as soon as we hear anything we will call you back that'd be great thanks, listen, thanks a that. million bye bye uh, Sharon Kellaway there highlighting Kilworth Play Park which doesn't sound like it is up to scratch at all for the children to go out to play 1850 coming up after the break Peter Dowdle answers all of your gardening questions
8: Celebrity C's. Guess the celebs
3: to grab the cash on C103. 2,600 euro here. Be lovely, wouldn't you? Wouldn't it? you love to have that now? Yes. <laughs> Straight up to the airport,
0: jetting yeah, off well, somewhere uh, hot. Yeah, maybe. Right, come on, who are they?
4: Um, I'd say um, Sandra Puddock,
7: Gabriel Byrne, and Killian Murphy. Margaret Curran, if you want that holiday. Get <laughs>
2: €600, Euro. thank you very much. Simon
7: Celebrity sees on C103.
2: This is the Cork Today replay on C103.
7: Gardening on C103 with Bandon Co-op Garden Centres in Bandon, Kinsale and Enniskeen. For top quality plants, advice and value, think Bandon Co-op Garden Centres. C103.
3: And Peter Dowdell, our resident gardener uh, from the com, joining us. Good afternoon
10: to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Patricia. How
3: are you? I'm, I'm very well and we're looking forward to a great weekend. It's going to be a bit of sunshine for the weekend, which is jolly nice to look forward to.
10: I am looking forward to a great weekend. That's because Ireland and the rugby. So well, you've got forward. that as well. That, that as much as the sunshine. Yeah. And actually,
3: when I when I was mentioning at the start of the program this morning about this nice weather that Met Eireann are forecasting, they did come with a cautionary word of warning for farmers and gardeners because they warned that the weather conditions over the next ninety six hours will be conducive to the spread of potato blight.
10: Yes, it would be certainly over the next few days and it's time to keep an eye where are we at the end of August. You, you could certainly be harvesting a lot, you know, uh, but certainly you'd want to be keeping an eye out for potato blight at this time of the year it's particularly with the summer that we're having.
3: Okay, straight into questions. This was one of the first questions in this morning. Is it safe to put, to put a Virginia creeper on an unpainted new house <laughs> gable?
10: Excuse me. Uh, I'm going to say yes is the answer and I'm going to... Qualify that by saying within reason. It's it's there there's kind of a thinking that it's not safe because it might damage the, the the mortar or whatever in the house. That's not true. It is true in older houses. Now I'm no expert on building or on cement or the mortar that's used, but I do know that in houses that are kind of pre 1920 1930, there was an ingredient in the uh, cement that was used in the walls that the the Virginia creeper and any self-cleaning climber can suck out of the cement and weaken it. So in older houses, it's not actually a great idea. But in newer houses, that's not an issue, not an issue at all. The, The only reason I'm qualifying it then is to say, within reason, so in other words, it can still do physical damage, you know, it doesn't look like it from the small little slip that you put in, but in five to ten years' time, that could cover your gable wall and so you need to pay attention to things like downpipes, gutters, any loose windows or anything like that, because uh, they'll keep growing as long as they have support they'll keep growing to cover it, so they'll find weak points. if there's a weak slate in the roof of the, so just it's kind of common sense at that stage just it's a physical thing more than a horticultural thing keep it away from downpipes keep it away from gutters and windows and any, any weak point in the house but in terms of the actual wall itself no problem and a lovely lovely climber to put up.
3: Okay Ellen a couple of questions for Peter please peonies that have long flowered when and what do I do with the stems which are dying back?
10: You can cut them back now, it's a herbaceous perennial, so the, the flower that has died, what, sorry, what that term means, quite simply, is a herbaceous plant is one that dies back for the winter and perennial just means it comes on every year so the, the, the peony is one of those so it just means that everything over the ground will begin to die back now as it's going into its dormant period so you can cut it as soon as it starts looking brown and disheveled you can cut it all back for the winter uh, it seems terrible to be talking about the winter storm. Know, when, we, when we haven't had a summer but you, you, any of the dying back flower stems it's not going to give you a second flush of flowers it's not like other perennials cut them back. you can remove, remove yeah.
3: and uh, Ellen also said the bulbs of a bearded iris which didn't produce a flower this year should I pull them out
10: if they didn't produce a flower they're, they're rhizomes more than bulbs so if they didn't produce a flower this year uh I don't know that I'd pull them out. I'm a bit surprised that they didn't. Uh, I, you could look at lifting them and dividing them, dividing the clump. So, so cutting the the clump. I'm, pre- pre- I'm presuming the fact that they didn't flower this year means that it's an established clump and it has flowered previously. So maybe it's just got a bit congested and a bit tired and it me- needs to be rejuvenated a bit by being lifted and divided. So you end up replanting smaller clumps in more than one position. I would do that. Lift them, wait the winter months, do it. Lift them, divide them, which is quite simple. Just put a spade or a secateurs through them. Uh, and and put back smaller clumps.
3: Okay, and so I guess it didn't flower. Red hot pokers didn't flower, says a uh, texture. Lots of leaves, but no flowers.
10: I'd say it's possibly the same situation. When a perennial like that, like Nifofia, to give it the correct name, the, the red hot poker, it's native to South Africa, so number one, it does like a good warm summer, which we didn't get this year. That could be the reason, though I'd say it's unlikely. It's much more likely that the plant has got congested. Perennials do... They're great value plants, perennials, because they clump up each year and they die back for the winter and then give you a bigger and better display each year. But I would say after every five or six years, the clump does tend to get congested. But most perennials, I would give this advice, lift them as a matter of course, every five or six years just to rejuvenate them. So reduce the size of the clump and you're getting plants for free. So where you did have one clump of red hot poker, you're cutting it into four or five. Uh, and replant the smaller clumps around the garden I would say that's most likely to be the problem
3: OK Maura says question for Peter please if I take seeds from my summer bedding plants when do I plant them in my glass house for next
10: year? Uh, to, 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 to a degree it depends on what they are but for most of them for most um which would be hardy annuals or frost tender perennials, you would start them off in the glass house in February, March of next year. They'll germinate relatively quickly uh, and you'd be planting them out. You be you start them off in a seed tray, as I say, February, March, when they germinate the, the, and produce their two sets of their own leaves. So every first leaf of every seedling is the same. It's called a seed leaf. Uh, and then you have what's called true leaves. So when you've got two or three pairs of true leaves, then you, you thin them out. So in other words, you might have hundreds if not thousands growing in the seed tray then you thin them out so that they're each growing their own little individual pot or cell and then once they've got big enough normally in the second half of may once the weather is improving and they're strong enough you start hardening them off which means just moving them out for a few hours each day
3: when is the west cook listener when is the best time to cut back lilies the flowers are gone they're the ones with the big white flowers
10: Probably the Aram lilies or St. Anthony's lily or Easter yeah. lilies. They're called um, a million different things. Uh, and again, like the peony question, it'll be around at this time of the year. So in fact, I was in a garden last evening, a client's garden, and they have a lo- long, long uh, line of them under a beach hedge, and they look magnificent when they're in flower. Now they are dying back now, and I was just looking at them last night. They are dying back. So they're kind of going yellowy-brown now. So I would say when they leave most of the green, die back into the plant. But when, when they've gone quite unsightly, quite brown, which may be the case with this colour, you could remove them then.
3: Hi, um, this is from Alan. Hi, Trish and Peter. I want to try to sow some potatoes in pots next year. Could you please ask, Peter, is it possible and if so, what size pots would I need? What type of soil would be best suited and when would be the best time to plant?
10: Okay, yes, you can grow them in pots uh, in theory. Well, in practice as well, you can grow them quite successfully in pots. But you need a big pot or a bag, like you get these grow bags. No, they're not the grow bags that you grow the tomato plants in. They're not those kind of grow bags which you get like, Hessian bags if you want or if you could uh, you know the mini skip bags that I'm talking about yeah the they're, they're they're Those big bags, bags big, yeah. big bags exactly um, so you could grow them and it doesn't have like in a mini skip bag now that I've mentioned this, you, you, you'd plant four or five potato plants in that. but if you wanted to just grow one per pot you'd certainly want a pot I would say about 18 inches in diameter and about a foot or two deep so it'd be quite a substantial pot so you'd start off you wouldn't fill the pot with soil and plant the potato on top you'd plant about few inches, let's say four or five inches of soil at the bottom of the pot, uh, set your seed potato on top of that four or five inches, um, and then just cover it with soil. Don't fill the pot, just cover the potato. And same as you were, we would do if you were growing them outside. So every time that you see the greenery coming up over the compost or soil surface, you earth up, so you keep filling the pot gradually over the, the life cycle of the plant until it's, it's at or nearly at the top. And the plant starts to flower and that's when you harvest them and it's of course very easy to harvest them because you just upturn the pot um when to do it will depend on which type of seed potato you're using so if it's an early seed potato you'd want to have them in by patrick's day and if it's main crop you would say anytime after patrick's day and you could stagger the planting from, from patrick's day right into the end of may really um the, the type of soil, any good, I would say, if you're, if it's an edible crop, use an organic compost, use a good free-draining one. You don't want something that's going to be holding water because, again, it could lead to help rather, with the development of blight and it could also lead to other fungal problems. It doesn't want to be a damp soil, it wants to be a free-draining, good, sandy compost or gritty compost. Uh, and hopefully that you'll have a a good supply of potatoes next year.
3: Uh, Paul and Douglas says, Hi Peter, I bought three gala lily bulbs at Mallow Garden Show and had a massive display that was last year. This year, only one flower came out. I still have them in the same pot. Should I plant them out in the ground and when should I feed them?
10: Okay, I don't know exactly which one which lily it is the gala lily I don't know which one that is exactly uh, but certainly send a few photographs in either to yourselves or to myself on Facebook at Irish Gardener, and I'll have a look at them but whether or which um, they should still have flower- they flowered well last year they should have flowered well this year again even in the same pot they should they should still have had enough reserve in the bulb to flower again but I would suggest Planting them all right into a bigger pot or into the ground for next year, but the reason I'm hesitating there is because I don't know exactly which type of lily it is. Gala is probably a, a brand name or a variety name, uh, but I don't know exactly which type of lily it is, because that will determine when you would move them into the ground uh, or, or into the into a bigger pot. But I. I'm going to take a guess and say it's one of the kind of summer flowering classic lilies, proper lilies, uh, in which case you you take them out of the pots that they're in when the foliage dies back, which will probably be within the next month or two, leave them, wrap them in a bit of newspaper or straw, keep them somewhere during during the winter in a shed or somewhere like where they're, they're dry and, and cool, and then plant them out again in January. That's what I would do, January, February, to plant them out. Uh, but... Be, to be absolutely 100% sure I'm giving the right advice. I'd want to see a picture of the plant.
3: Okay, Jim in Bishopstown, a palm hedge, seven feet high. I want to cut about two feet off the top of the hedge. Is now the right time or not to do it?
10: No, it's not really. I would hold off until late. Well, number no, one, you're not allowed to do yeah. that at this time of the so year. Yeah, it's a hedge. Yeah, it's a hedge and the Wildlife Act says you're not allowed to do that uh, until September because of birds nesting and other wildlife in the hedge. So don't do it now. But anyway, from a horticultural point of view, I wouldn't either. I would say you want to wait till the end of September before you do it.
3: Mill Street has rhododendrons that she wants to cut back. When can I prune and how hard can I prune?
10: You, with rhododendrons, you can prune back as hard as you want, remembering one thing, and that is that you're leaving greenery below the cut, so that may or may not be quite hard, because r- with rhododendrons and as with nearly all evergreens, the inside of the plant loses all the leaves because there's no light getting to it, but so the, the, only the greenery tends to be on the outside of the plant, so there, it might be the top 12 inches of each shoot has greenery, in which case you could cut back nearly 12 inches, providing you're leaving, as I say, greenery below the cut. But in some cases, there might only be two or three inches on the outside with greenery, and you can only, if you know what I mean, so you can't cut it back that mm-hmm. hard at all. So remember that you're leaving at least one pair of leaves on each stem That'll determine how far you can cut them back. Uh, in terms of timing, you're probably gone a bit late for this year. I think probably because you won't harm the plant by cutting it back now, but you're most likely end of August. In fact, I'd say nearly certainly now you'll be sacrificing next year's flowers because uh, rhododendrons, like camellias and many of the spring flowering plants, they produce their flower buds at this time of the year: August, July, August, September, for opening next spring. So obviously by, by pruning it back now, you could well be removing any flower buds for next year. If that's not an issue, you're not going to harm the plant by cutting it back now.
3: OK, and I can see lots and lots more questions, but we're we're not going to get through any more. So just one quick one. Can I take Camellia Cuttings? Listen, wants to know how and when. Do I take yeah,
10: them? That wasn't going to be a quick one, I'm afraid. But is it not? You, okay. You, you, you can take them this time of the year, but the reason I say it's not quick is because it's quite difficult. You do need, uh, commercially it's done with undersoil heating, so it's quite a difficult thing. Uh, I can go more detail on it next okay. week, Trish, if you all want, right. but now now is the time of the year to look at it, all right? Okay,
3: and there's a number of people about their grass. They're uh, not able to cut the grass because the grass is uh, waterlogged with, with the rain. So I just wait for a good, you might get a good dry t- at the weekend if it dries out
10: hopefully and just very briefly before you finish I've just literally made a video there now on lawn care it'll be going up on my page Irish Gardener on Facebook tomorrow which is on what to do with the lawn for the next month so keep an eye out for that you'll okay. see you tomorrow evening as we bring it up
3: Alright listen have a good week and we'll talk to you next Wednesday
10: And you, thanks Rich Thanks bye-bye.
3: for that that is uh, Peter Daddle of the you
7: Gardening on C103 with Bandon Co-op Garden Centers in Bandon, Kinsale and Enniskeen. For top quality plants, advice and value, think Bandon Co-op Garden Centers. C103.
3: And apologies, we didn't, I can see a load of questions that we didn't get to uh, with Peter. We'll make a note of them and we'll do our best uh, to try to recap on some of those questions and put them to Peter when he joins us again uh, next week. And uh, thank you to a busy, busy programme today. So thanks to John Paul who was working flat out, trying to answer as many of your calls uh, as he could. Uh, Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we'll do it all over again tomorrow. look forward to your company from 10. I'm Patricia Messenger.